Coming to you live from a barbecue shack near you, it's the SEC Slow Smoke Podcast. We've got the sweet tea, the white bread, and a whole lot of slow smoke takes lined up. So put down your turkey burger, turn up the volume, and grab your hog, because it's about to be on. Oh, yeah. Now, say hello to your self-proclaimed food and sports experts, the utterly enthusiastic Holt Smash, and the one and only Tinder King of Memphis, Mr. JB the underscore Brooks. And now, here's your host, always full of ship, Alex Bullship One. Welcome back to the official Slow Smoked Week 4 Recap Podcast. I'm your host, Alex. Got my two bros, Holt Smash and Mr. J.B. Brooks on the line with me. What's up, Holt? Alex, what's going on, man? Did you have a good weekend? Yeah, I did. I, I slow smoked some ribs for probably four and a half hours. Not the, the notorious or famous six hours, but the... Uh, the four Alex, the Bullship One four and a half hour special. It was pretty good though. Yep, the half fast special. The half fast special, basically. Um, how was your hash browns and burger? Um, yeah, it was pretty dang good. Um, thanks for bringing that up. Um, I appreciate it. But uh, yeah, I was just uh, planning on cooking some burgers tonight, grilling out and. Then I realized right before I cooked them that I didn't buy any potatoes, but I didn't really have a side. And I had some hash in the freezer. And I was like, hey, like, maybe, wait, you know, maybe I'll just make like hash browns with my burger. And then I was talking to my roommate, Dalton, and he was like, dude, what if you put hash browns on your burger? And I was like, that's a great fucking idea. And then I did it, and it was pretty damn good. I'm surprised. I know you don't go to Waffle House for burgers, but I'm surprised that, like, that's not on the Waffle House. <clears throat> I'm sure it is if you just, you know, tell them. Yeah, I always have to do that for it. And another thing, too, is, like, I always hear people say, like, when you go to McDonald's, if you get, like, a um, a hash brown from there, you can put it on, like, any of their sandwiches or burgers, and it's, like, really freaking good. Yeah. Let me let me ask JB if he's alive over there. JB, you doing all right? I am alive. But I did want to ask you, Alex, if you could uh, give us a little bit of details on your ribs, like what kind of ribs you have, what kind of wood you use, and uh, you wrap foil in it in the middle to uh, help retain the uh, moisture in the ribs. Uh, yeah, I can dive into it. Um, I did get two full racks of St. Louis spare ribs at Publix. Um, I'm not sure if I'm sure, you know, Jay, because I feel like you're the rib cooking expert out of all of us here. I've, I've done some research, but I feel like you just like were born with the knowledge, you know, you're supposed to take the, uh, the membrane off the back of the ribs, right? That is correct. Although I will tell you that a lot of restaurants, Especially uh, famous restaurants do not from the uh, ribs, but yes, you are supposed to remove the membrane. Are you talking about like actual barbecue restaurants, or if you get like ribs at the Chili's Baby Back Special? No, like actual barbecue restaurants. A lot of them don't remove the membrane because if you when you eat ribs, it's like that little bottom, you know, at the yeah. bottom of yeah. the like that's the membrane, and a lot yeah. of restaurants remove the membrane. But you're supposed to do it because it like it'll dry out your ribs if you don't, but. 
I don't, I mean, maybe this is me being dumb. Like I, I thought I saw the membrane, but like I couldn't remove it. Or I think the, the ribs I got already removed the membrane for me, if that's a thing. I'm not sure, but it looks like. Uh, uh, they wouldn't have already been removed, but there's a method into uh, removing the membrane. That's uh, for another time. But just use like a uh, steak knife or a butter knife to get all over to the edge. And you, like, I thought you said off. this was for another time. I know. But basically, you just use a knife to get under the edge of it. And then you slowly just pull it up with your fingertips and eventually it'll just pull off. But yeah, it, it's definitely can be a, a work just to get it to uh, come off from the corner. Anyway, so I got two racks of ribs from Publix. Um, I seasoned it before, uh, put the mustard on the ribs and use that like as a base to kind of, uh, so the seasoning would stick to the ribs better. I used some... Uh, bone sucking not rib sauce but they have rib seasoning i used that uh because i had more of that than the uh dancing pig seasoning that's the barbecue shop in memphis uh so i used the bone sucking rib seasoning and i i put it in their fridge for probably like two hours then i heated up the the big green egg and once that started heating it up i took the ribs out probably let them uh get to room temperature for like 30 40 minutes and then put them on the Put them on to the uh, bigger and egg for three hours, probably like at two, should be at 225, but I couldn't really get it down under 240. So it was probably like 235, 240. And of course, you know, the temperature, the thermometer on the, the grill is a little bit higher than the actual temperature where the food is. So it's probably, the actual food temperature is probably closer to 225, but I did it for three hours, then looked at it and it looks pretty close to being done then it kind of scared me i thought i was going to overcook them for a while for a second there then i well, uh, yeah took, there's actually no such thing as really overcooking ribs uh, the only difference is that it might just become a little more slimy uh the more you cook it because then the meat just becomes extremely tender and falling yeah. off the yeah but, uh, the, there's a trick to uh testing the meat uh you pick it up with a uh, with your tongs and you see how it bends yeah when you pick and also you get the get a toothpick to uh, stick into the meat in between the bones and you'll be able to tell right there how tender it is. Yeah. So I, whenever I took it off, I, after three hours, I wrapped it in aluminum foil um, and put some, some special, special uh, seasoning ingredients on there. I can't tell you that because that's a, that's a bullshit one secret recipe, but then I put, put uh, some seasoning and wrapped it up and put it back onto the grill for probably another hour. And then I took it off and, uh, unwrapped it and put more seasoning and then put it on the grill for um, really like 30, 45 minutes after that, because they were pretty done after the first three hours. I don't want to like overcook them, um, but took them off after that. It was probably like total four and a half, four hours and 45 minutes around there and um, ate them and they tasted better than the first time I did. I know that. Well, yeah. It's a, yeah. It's definitely some work to uh, doing ribs. Like, I'm, I, I like, I love the products, you know, when I smoke on ribs, but man, it's just, it's, it's so much work. I'm just lazy to want to do it, you know? Yeah, that does sound pretty lazy, but it's, um, I mean, it's fun. You, you, I think, I think it's fun to do it on a football Saturday. By the way, Holt, did you know there was football this Saturday? Um, yeah, I'm very aware. I was at the game and I watched some of the other ones on TV. Oh shit. I didn't even, did you snap? No, no snaps, no snaps. I didn't see any snaps from the game. Yeah, I don't get very good service um, at Mississippi State games, and uh, my phone battery is also a very—it's uh, kind of a liability for me. 
So I uh, keep my Snapchat to a minimum. I was, yeah, I was wondering because I know you got season tickets, but I don't think you were originally going to go to this game, right? Oh, uh, no, I planned on going to this game for a while. Okay. Uh, yeah, you- so I planned on going to Kentucky, LSU, Alabama, and Ole Miss pretty much the whole time. And then just depending on if any other games are interesting, which I don't think they will be. Did you, only other like Christian. Did you pig out at Stagger Inn this weekend? I did. Um, maybe not as much as usual. Um, they kind of kicked us out early because they closed at 10. They got like 9.30. And the waitresses were like, you better order food. Like, you know. <laughs> so, like, I actually just got some fried cheese sticks, some fried pepper jack cheese sticks. They're really good. I had pizza because um, I went to visit my grandparents beforehand, and we had lost pizza, um, which is kind of like a Mississippi chain, and they have some in Memphis as well. Um, thought about going to, uh, uh, what's it called? Another pizza place in Starkville, Strong Bullies. Um, thought about going there, but we decided on lost pizza, which I'm very much a fan of. So I had some had some wings, and then um, after that, I met my bros in and I got some cheese sticks just because, you know, why not? Yeah. Um, that's a little, that's like a, a little disappointing because you could have gone a lot bigger in Stagger Inn, but I mean, I understand the circumstances that you were given there. No Little Dewey or what was, what's the other barbecue place that you like there? Oh, Petty's? Yeah. I haven't been to Petty's since I graduated. Um, I don't even know if it's still any good or not, but I liked it a lot when I was in school. It's just like a little shack on Highway 12 and like, I mean, you literally just like walk up and like knock on the window and then. You tell them what you what you want, and then he gives it to you, and then there's like a little porch you can go sit or, sit at out back. It's like the perfect like barbecue atmosphere. Yeah, for sure. So, you, did you get a chance to watch as much football as you would have liked? Because that's the the trade off you you take with going to a yeah. game and experiencing it. You don't get to see all the games that you would really want to watch. Yeah, it really is. Um, it's tough for me, especially yesterday, because there's so many good games on. This is kind of like the first weekend where, like, there's actually been a lot of really um, interesting games on. And, uh, you know, it's kind of tough getting away from my, you know, my living room with, like, all three of our TVs. So, uh, you know, yeah, it was definitely pretty tough. Um, I, we did have a TV at the tailgate, um, and I was appointed um, remote guy, driver guy. So I pretty much handled that. And um, I think – Got to see. Got, I didn't get to see all of every game, but I got to see pretty much the gist of eleven a.m. games, and then obviously games because I was at the state game, and then I uh, got to watch most of the Notre Dame Georgia game as well. Um, but I did miss the Washington State UCLA game, unfortunately, and uh, missed the Auburn A&M game and some other games that looked like they were really good. That's slightly disappointing, but I still would rather go see my team play uh, for the most part. Uh, so you really didn't lose if you still got to watch your team win big against Kentucky, which I hope you, uh, I hope you bet on Mississippi state too. I'm not big on betting on my team's play, but, um, I actually did. I bet, uh, I think I threw in two or three dollars for Mississippi state to cover this weekend. Wow. That's big for you. It really is, man. I'm, I'm, I'm all like, about like spreading my wealth around the college football games. Right. Oh, well, you're immediately going to invest all your winnings, right? Oh yeah. I'm not taking out. I'm not taking out probably till the end of the season. If, if even that, because I didn't put enough in there. Just let it roll over to basketball season. Yeah, yeah. Keep 
Yeah, for sure. Let's just talk about this high level because there's a lot of good games here. I don't know if we'll have time to cover every single SEC game or even out-of-conference game in detail. But here's here's my main takeaway from this weekend. There were a lot of good games, but we now have a new top 25 poll. And we still have, I think, was it five teams from the SEC in the top 10? Um, this is what I'm struggling with is – uh, maybe besides Florida, Florida, you could say that they don't look as good as the other top 10 teams, but you have Alabama, LSU, Auburn, and Georgia all look really good. They all had really good games this weekend. Alabama hasn't played anybody as much as LSU or Georgia or Auburn has, but all of these teams look good. So my question is to both of you, and you can decide who answers this one, which team is the best in SEC? Because we, I mean, I guess we can assume it's Alabama, but I mean, LSU's <laughs> offense looks really good. Auburn's defense looks really good. Georgia looks good on both sides of the ball. It's hard for me to tell. Well, uh, to start off with, uh, the one that has the best resume right now is probably going to have to be Auburn, uh, considering who they played so far. If we're going to, if you're going to ask me uh, who I think the best team is, I still have to go with Alabama. I know they haven't played anybody yet, but we know what they have from last year returning. We know how good they've looked in the games that they played already. I mean, they've looked they've looked dominant. They haven't really shown a lot, and uh, I still think you have to keep them number one just by default. But I think that LSU and Georgia are right there behind Alabama. I, I mean, I really think it's a three-team race between those three, and I think that the SEC is a little more wide open this year than it was last year. I think all I think those three teams are almost kind of in a gridlock, but I'd still give Alabama the edge. And Auburn's really not that far behind either. I mean, I think Auburn's going to get better as the season progresses. I just don't think they're in that upper echelon with those three just yet, but they're close. Oh, I'll let you comment, but I have a quick question. Would Auburn be – because JB mentioned that Auburn is just slightly behind uh, LSU, Georgia, and Alabama. Would Auburn be right there with those three teams if if they had a more reliable quarterback? It's kind of hard for me to trust Bo Nix – beating Alabama or LSU or Georgia? Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably the missing piece. Uh, you know, Bo Nix has been, you know, solid, but definitely not great. Um, he shows flashes, but um, until he takes that next step and becomes like a difference maker at quarterback, um, then I think Auburn's going to be one step behind the other three because the other three have a really good quarterback and um, that are really showing out right now. And, you know, we know how good Auburn's defense is. We know about Booby Whitlow and some of those athletic receivers that Auburn has. Um, so, really, it's kind of on the quarterback right now to uh, to kind of close that gap. Hold on, I know you're a betting man. Would you bet right now for Alabama to go into the playoff undefeated? Um, I mean, before the season, I would have said yes, like no doubt. But, I mean, the playoff, I don't know, the regular season, I, I still think so. Um, you know, I really like LSU, but that game is at Alabama. And, um, you know, I as much as I like LSU's offense this year and they've been incredible, you know, they haven't played like a great defense yet. So I just wonder, you know, in that big of a game and that, you know, big of a moment, their offense going to look like, are they still going to be throwing the ball over the place? Or is, you know, they're going to, is Burrow going to be getting hit? Um, you know, are they going to go back to you know, I mean, you just don't know until you actually get to that moment. And um, I just I just trust Nick Saban a lot more than Ed Orgeron, to be honest. And, um, you know, then you, you got the Auburn, you know, Auburn as well. 
And, you know, look, Auburn looked good on Saturday. I didn't see a lot of the game, and I know uh, JB's going to comment more on that in a little bit. But, um, you know, I, I just – I'm not totally sold on Auburn. Uh, like some other people are, obviously, Saturday was a really good performance from, you know, what I've heard and just looking at the stats. But, um, you know, I still don't cons- – like, even though it's at Auburn and it's a big robbery game, I mean, it's just – I just trust Alabama so much more. But uh, that being said, I mean, you know, I could see Alabama losing a game. Like, I definitely feel like more like they're going to lose the game now than I did at the beginning of the season. Of course. And I think eventually Georgia has their breakthrough and beat Alabama, assuming they both get to the SEC championship. Um, you would think eventually Georgia – I mean, Georgia has the talent at least to compete with Alabama. They've had the talent for the last two years. But um, eventually, <laughs> I, I just – I think Georgia's going to have to break through. I mean, you have to win – at some point, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, let's just talk about this Georgia Notre Dame game because I want to make sure we cover the big games here. So this is a fun game. Um, I'm assuming, yeah, you definitely watched this one whole because that was well, well after the game and you were still in Starkville, so you weren't traveling. And JB, you were watching this one too. You know, we if y'all remember, we did a while ago. We did the, I guess how we even got somewhat Twitter famous is when we did the retweeter favorite stadiums for around the SEC, the loudest stadiums, I guess is what it was. And I don't think Georgia really got too much traction. And that could have been the effects of just not having a lot of Georgia Twitter followers or whatever. But I don't know if y'all just noticed how wild Sanford Stadium looks Saturday. But to me, it looks like the biggest home field advantage in the SEC right now. Oh yeah, like it was it was it was a really big crowd, and uh, you know you don't ever really put Sanford Stadium, I guess, in the same conversation as places like uh, Kyle Field, Death Valley, Neyland, or the Swamp. But Sanford Stadium is a pretty great place to play and really good home field advantage. I think what really can takes away from holding the noise at Sanford is the open end zone, yeah, which uh, a lot of noise escape. But I mean, it's 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 definitely an awesome environment projections they do yeah uh, they really get crazy where the game starts when they play uh baba rally by the who and all the fans are cheering that like it, it's a great atmosphere at sanford don't get me wrong that's that's the one thing i was noticing the most is when they were they were flickering the lights on and off and it was like red and black that was just that looks so much fun to be a part of i think yeah that would have been an amazing experience to be at that game that's like really what i was thinking about like, the whole time it's just like the whole pregame and then like the fourth quarter when the whole stadium went like red like, you know, and all the crazy light stuff they were doing. I mean, uh, not not to mention just the fact that it was just a really exciting game and um, just a lot of hype around it. It's a really unique matchup that you never get to see. And, um, you know, I mean, honestly, like, all I can think about was, like, Notre Dame. Like, those players are probably, like, for, I mean, not freaking out, but they're probably, like, this is, like, the coolest environment I've ever played in. Like, I think about it, like, from their point of view. Like, like playing, like, in that stadium on the road has got to be just, like, I mean, I don't know if, like, intimidating is maybe the right word, but just, like, I mean, just cool. Like, I mean, that would be just, like, so cool to be, like, a road team in, like, that scenario. Um, I think and it, obviously it's a great home field too. Like, and it would just been really cool to be there and, like, be a fan, too. I mean, it was just – yeah. it looks really cool. Yeah, Notre Dame's played in a lot of great environments, uh, you know, in their non-conference schedule when they played in a lot of these Big Ten schools. Different culture in the SEC at those games. I mean, Notre Dame's played in places like uh, Beaver Stadium and the Big House – and, uh, you know, places like that. But in the SEC, like, it's a different culture in those, in those stadiums and different environments. And, and Sanford Stadium definitely 
put on a show for the SEC because the way it was the same for San and other SEC venues when uh, the crowds are up. Yeah, I think I, I uh, to push your point a little bit further. Holt, if you're a Notre Dame player going into that stadium and you see those lights flickering, I don't know if you're intimidated because I think that is the, I think that's the right breakdown there. Holt is you're not intimidated, but you're just like kind of amazed at how how awesome it looks for Georgia. And I mean, honestly, if I was a Notre Dame player, I'd probably get a little chill bumps <laughs> before the game because yeah. it just looks really cool and you get really pumped up. And I'm not sure how you are Holt, or JB, but if I'm at my my team's home stadium slash arena and they do like a great pregame pregame atmosphere or video like that i get so hyped like where i just like want to run through like a wall for somebody yeah i do i mean i'm the same way you know especially when it's like a big game and like you just like you just feel like the electricity in the air and it's just like just really cool like like the calm for the storm type thing and then like you know they play like a pregame video and like they got the lights and yeah you know they got the you know, especially I like it when they show the team like coming out of the, like coming through the tunnel hallway, like up to the field, and then they're like usually playing like some music. I think that's always really cool too. Like for sure. And then like you look if you look at Notre Dame's schedule, uh, the games that they played the last five years on the road, they played a top five actually number one Florida State in 2014 and Doe Campbell first time there, and then the year later they played a Death Valley and Clemson a top five team, and then they played a top five Miami team. And then now, in 2019, they played a top-five Georgia team. So, Notre Dame has a way of always playing some big road games at really good venues. Hold this game, the pregame line, it was, like, originally, like, a 13 or 14. It jumped up all the way to 15-and-a-half Georgia uh, right before the game started. And I actually took Notre Dame at plus 15-and-a-half, which I'm very proud I did. Um, Why why is Notre Dame not getting enough respect? And – did they surprise you how well they played? Because I know you said, I think in the past, that you thought Georgia's a little overrated. But to me, when I watched the game, I, I was kind of impressed with Notre Dame this game to hold their own. Yeah, I mean, maybe a little bit. They definitely played better than I expected them to, especially on offense. Uh, they were able to, like, move the chains a lot. They ran a lot of um, crossing routes, stuff like that. They really was able to pick up a lot of yardage, um, pick up a lot of first downs. And I really, Georgia offense off the field I mean I think that was kind of like their their goal uh the whole game was to just stay on offense and you know they weren't really able to run the ball but Ian Book did a a pretty good job of spreading the ball around and I thought they had a really good offensive game plan and uh defensively they played really well I thought um you know obviously the offense helped them out by holding the ball a lot but they forced some three and outs um which is really big especially in that game and uh, they were able to keep Georgia from being able to just get the running game going. And, you know, um, but, I mean, honestly, like, looking at the other side, like, my big takeaway from this game, um, you know, I mean, obviously I've been saying that I'm not, like, huge on, on Georgia this year. I don't know if they're quite in that same – that upper uh, – Alabama and maybe even LSU right now. Um, I just don't – like, the offensive play calling just was really uh, head-scratching to me. Um they just seemed like they wanted to get way too cute. And with what they were doing, they just lining up and just running right at Notre Dame. I don't know if Notre Dame was giving them, like, some some looks. I mean, I wasn't really able to tell, like, from watching TV. I don't know, like, if they were doing something with, like, their linebackers or their alignment or bringing, like, a safety down that just made them just really cautious to just line up and run the ball right down the middle. But they just, like, they seemed like they weren't 
doing what they should be doing. They, they just felt like they could have just ran the ball right down Notre Dame's throat the whole game, and they just wanted to get a little bit too cute. And, I mean, Fromm played well, but, you know, he's just – he's done a lot of short passes, and it's just not very creative. And, um, you know, it just seemed like they played really conservative. And um, But at the same time, they're playing conservative, but not, like, running the ball like, like they should be right at that Notre Dame defense, which was a weakness going into that game. So, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, you got to give Notre Dame some credit, but, you know, I'm still – and I'm not trying to take anything away from Notre Dame. I thought they played well, but I, to me, like, I was how Georgia played in this game. JB, uh, Holt Mission from had some short passes. Uh, I think most people think Brom is one of the better quarterbacks in the SEC, um, but he's not like a – electric playmaker is uh, what a lot of people would not call him. Do you think uh, Fromm is a more of like a game manager or do you think he's a step above that? Because game manager is such like a negative connotation. I kind of, I kind of like it just because it's like a quarterback you can trust, but um, it kind of undersells the quarterback a lot. Yeah. I actually, I really do believe in Jay Crom. I, I definitely believe he's a, uh, big time NFL prospect too. Like he just brings all the intangibles with him. Like he great leadership, uh, great football IQ. He doesn't have the arm strength. You know, quarterbacks have, especially at the next level. But to me, arm strength is not the biggest key. Like he has, a, he has really good accuracy on his throws. He's really, ac- uh, really good with his precision. He makes good decisions. Uh, he's poised in the pocket. And like I said, all the intangibles of being a leader and leading your team. Like I would trust him to lead a game winning drive and, and in this draft, I would definitely trust him with a uh, high pick, you know, in one, in one of the uh, first few rounds. Like, I, I do like Jake Fromm, and like I said, like, don't know if I can really evaluate much more than that, but I am a believer in him. Yeah. Uh, the Titans might be in the market for a quarterback in this next draft, so we'll have to look out for him. Yeah, and also, I will make a point that that last touchdown he threw in the game against Notre Dame was definitely an NFL throw. Like, that was a perfect throw right on the dot. Uh, in the end zone, uh, you know, a back shoulder throw. Like, that was beautiful. Like, I don't know if you remember which play I'm talking about, but that last touchdown was really impressive. Holt, were you impressed with the defense here for Georgia? And was that interception? And I think it was the fourth quarter um, where the – I think it was like the cornerback just came out of – seems like it came out of nowhere and just picked picked off – in book was that like one of the best interceptions you've seen this so far this year yeah that was a great play by safety there uh jr reed uh your boy yeah. is the one actually in play um but yeah i was pretty impressed with georgia's defense um they did a really good job of stopping the run Notre Dame really couldn't get anything going they didn't even try to run the ball honestly they only had 14 carries on the game for 46 yards so they were able to uh force Notre Dame to throw the ball a little bit and um you know, Book, obviously, they kind of turned it loose with him. He threw the ball 47 times in this game. And, but he only had 275 yards and then also had the two interceptions. Um, definitely did a pretty of uh, at least, you know, not giving up big plays. But um, they did allow Notre Dame to pick up some first downs, especially early in the game, and kind of stay on the field and um, kind of George offense off the field. Um, did a good enough job to get the win. I mean, they gave up 17 points, but – you know, one of those was after a muff punt where Notre Dame had a short field. Um, you know, and then one of them was kind of at the end of the game when the game was, you know, it looked like out of out of uh, reach for Notre Dame. Um, so, I mean, you know, definitely not like a great defensive performance, but 
you know, they definitely played pretty well. For sure. Uh, I think pretty good win all around. I mean, you could you could get nitpicky, and I'm sure Kirby Smart would get nitpicky just because you have to coach something for the remainder of games. But, I mean, anytime you beat a top-10 team by – I mean, it was only six points, but still, anytime you beat a top-10 team, I would be happy. Um, it's a lot more, you could say, for Georgia than a lot of other teams in the SEC. Um, speaking of top-10 teams, Auburn beat Texas A&M only by eight points, but it doesn't really tell the whole story because they pretty much dominated – three quarters of this game and then Texas A&M had a late push in the fourth quarter to get it closer. But um, I was really impressed with Auburn's defense in this game, but uh, more concerned with A&M here than Auburn. I know we said earlier that Auburn looked good and they did, especially their defense. But um, to me, I'm kind of a little, I'm a little disappointed in A&M. Now this is the second big game of the year where they didn't really show out like I would expect them to. You can, you can talk about the Clemson game earlier this year and now this Auburn game, especially this Auburn game at home. You would think they would, you know, compete with them a little bit better than they did. Uh, JB, were you disappointed with AM and uh, not taking the next step forward uh, in year two with Jimbo Fisher? Oh, a little bit, but, I mean, I think a lot of fans knew coming into the season that their schedule was really difficult. But this was one of the games on the schedule that a lot of fans had circled as one of those tougher games that they should have won. And I would definitely agree with them. I mean, Bonds did not have – I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't say it wasn't the worst game, but, I mean, it wasn't really Mon's fault in this game. For me, uh, special teams, uh, Seth Small missed a few field goals that would have changed the complexion of the game, at least for A&M. He kept it one possession a few times. Uh, he missed one before halftime. That would have made it 14-6, and I would have, you know, had a one possession going into halftime. And then he misses it, and it's 14-3 and at half. You know, it's – Definitely a big difference there. But then also Seth Small, I think, missed a uh, chip shot as well in the uh, second half. So that's those are big differences to me. And But uh, A&M did not quit. Like, they played throughout the entire game. At the end, uh, they tried to make a little run. Uh, they drove down into the red zone and ended up having to kick a field goal to make a 28-13. And then they got the ball back soon after. And then Kellen Munn led him on a quick drive to score with about two minutes left and made it 28-20. And uh, they had a chance to get the ball back, uh, had uh, Auburn on a third and long, and then they ran Bo Nix uh, uh, past over the edge and was able to get around. And I think it was like a third and eight, if I'm not mistaken, something like that. And was able to get the first down and run out the clock. But, I mean, they did not quit. But, you know, it doesn't really matter, you know, in the, in the end. Like, they still lost. But there's definitely some positives to see from this game. I mean, they're – they're a team that's close, but they're not there yet. But I do think that over the course of the season, they will improve. But the schedule may not show it, just like we talked about in the preseason. JB, how fun is Auburn's offense when it's clicking with those trick plays? Oh, yeah. I like I love watching Auburn's offense when it's clicking, especially it's always on the uh, first drive of every game that they play. Like, Gus Malzahn is one of the best coaches at orchestrating a uh, opening drive in the game. 57-yard uh, touchdown they had on the end around to Anthony Schwartz. It was really fun to watch. I don't know if you remember what play yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah, no, exactly. That was really the play that set the tone in this game. And and it, it seemed like A&M could recover either because A&M uh, got the ball in the next possession, was able to get uh, two first downs on two third longs. And I thought, well, okay, well, they've come to play. They're going to – Kellen Mond's going to be clutch. And But then after that, their drive stalled, and then they get the ball back to Auburn and – 
you know, had a exchange a few possessions after that, and Auburn went up fourteen nothing at the end of the first, and and after that, Auburn was in complete control the rest of the game. Oh, do you shake your head when you watch Auburn do all these trick plays? I know you weren't. I guess you weren't able to watch um, this one live because you were at the state game, but I'm, I know you watched the replay. Um, this was like a double reverse, and this usually is, especially in the NFL, this is like a two or three yard loss, if not a five yard loss or more. And I, I, I get so mad at double reverses, but um, Auburn's trick plays seem to work sometimes. But when they don't work, it just pisses you off as a as a fan or just watching the offense not run the ball up the middle for third and one or something like that. So I'm just curious, how, when you're watching Auburn do all these trick plays, do you shake your head or are you just like, oh, man, this is pretty cool? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's definitely exciting sometimes, um, you know, but it's kind of like going forward on fourth down or kicking onside kicks and stuff like that. You know, it's, it's great if it's working, but if it's not working, you just look like a try hard, you know, and like you just look like a loser. Um, <laughs> So, like, you know, definitely when it works, you look like an evil genius and, you know, you got balls and all that stuff. But, you know, when they don't work, you just end up looking like an idiot. And um, luckily they're working for Malzahn in this one. Um, I did see the replay of this play, and, man, like, Schwartz can really run. I saw him last year uh, at the Auburn-Tennessee game, and, like, he's probably one of the fastest players in the conference. Um, just absolute, like, electric speed. Um, maybe not, like, the best route runner or have, like, the best hands or – you know, he's maybe a little bit more of a track guy than, like, a traditional receiver. But he definitely, like, when, once he gets the ball in the open field, like, no one's going to catch him. And, um, you know, it was really cool to see Malzahn drop a play for him there uh, to get that long touchdown. And, um, you know, it looked like Auburn's offense was pretty much clicking this whole game. Um, you know, I, and now, I, like, I like the uh, – Gatewood touchdown pass because you know it's it's kind of like the Tim Tebow package whenever Gatewood comes in I think a lot of people assume that he's gonna run or not really gonna pass it but he can actually throw pretty well and um, it throws I think it throws the defense off whenever he lines up because they they come in assuming it's a run and he can pass too yeah definitely you know Gatewood was a guy that I thought was gonna win the job honestly before the season started Um, I just thought that he you know having a year in the system and just yeah, I thought fit the offense really well. Um, but, uh, you know, he's been able to uh, find a nice niche in this offense and, um, you know, really carved out a role for himself. So it's it's definitely good to see that um, instead of just, you know, transferring away or whatever. So, um, you know, you definitely love to see that payoff for the guy. And, you know, I definitely will be pulling for him uh, the rest of this year. Albert has now has two big uh, wins this year with uh, Oregon and A&M. Uh, both um, away. Where was the where was the Oregon game? Was it? Neutral? That was neutral site. Neutral, right? Yeah. So Oregon that was neutral, wasn't it? It was. Think, about it was, um, yeah, that was Dallas, right? The <coughs> Texas, Texas, technically, but yeah, neutral against Oregon and uh, away uh, for A and M. Both big wins here. Um, Auburn's four zero. If you look at their schedule, they have um, so definitely some <laughs> tough games coming up with. Mississippi State hold, of course, Florida, LSU, Georgia, and Alabama. So there's looks like, I mean, there's a solid two, three, four losses there um, coming up potentially. But uh, with these two big wins, Holt, uh, where where is the Gus Malzahn, like, hot seat meter? Is it, like, all the way to DEFCON, like, four or three, or are we, like, back down to DEFCON one? Um, you know, I'm not going to lie. I really don't know how the DEFCONs go. 
Um, <laughs> well, I think I think five is like though, like oh shit, it's like World War Three is about to happen. A nuclear bomb just dropped. Okay, well, what's one? That's like one, just like you're you're like alert. Defcon one's like alert. You're like something's going on, but like you you don't want to like raise too many alarms. So like one would be like the least level. I mean, we could just do a one to ten. I guess <laughs> you would prefer. Um, just just yeah, JB need to say one, but um, I'm not gonna say that. I'm gonna say two uh, because I know that if they lose Saturday, then it's gonna be right back to uh, people talking about firing Gus Malzahn and bringing on like Bobby Petrino or somebody. It it is quite fun to listen to whatever Auburn Twitter is out there. I, we I, we do see it on our our timeline. Um, the teeter totter in between fire him. Manny's a great coach. His trick plays are awesome. It's it's kind of fun to watch. I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, but you know, I mean, just like I'm saying, like he, it's been a good start to the season. Um, you know, they're pretty lucky to win that Oregon game, and they kind of had to hold on at the end to be a And M. Uh, but definitely two really good wins away from home. And uh, but at the same time, I just feel like. Um, if he has a couple of head scratching losses this year and then they get blown out by Alabama and Georgia, then at the end of the year, then, um, you know, I don't think it's really going to matter. I think he may still be out of there. I hope not. I like, I like him at Auburn, but, um, well, we'll see. I, wish he Arkansas. I feel like that like would be the perfect fit. Well, you know, everybody. this is, this is actually a good tie in, uh, because Arkansas might be in the market for a new coach sooner rather than later, JB. Right. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. It's kind of like it's kind of like you don't you don't want to fire a coach in year two, but you also kind of like see the writing on the wall. Like you would, you said that earlier about Pruitt. Like you you think he's not going to be the coach for the future. So like it's like you're you're waiting to give the coach just enough time to like prove himself that he can't can't in fact coach with his players after three years. But it just kind of sucks because you're waiting for that to happen, but you already feel like you know it now that he's not going to be the coach. So we can't fire you now because you're. Firing in year two looks bad, but both uh, Jeremy Pruitt and um, Chad Morris at Arkansas don't look necessarily like the best coaches in the world. Yeah, I mean, I just think that, um, you know, usually you're going to get three, four years, but when you look this bad in your second year, like, I think that it's, like, legitimate. Um, You know, I mean, I know that, you know, both situations, they had to kind of take in some guys that didn't necessarily fit their system, and they kind of had to make the most out of what they had. Uh, but you still want to see more improvement in the second year. I mean, there's no reason that either one of those two schools should be losing to, you know, not only group of six teams, but back um, – or group of five. I don't know, whatever it's called. Um, so – Power six, group of five holes. Just, just keep it straight. <laughs> it's, all, it's all the same to me. Um, but um, anyway, yeah, I mean, you definitely should not be losing those games. And this loss for Arkansas is just absolutely embarrassing. I mean, there's no reason they should have lost this game. Um, you know, Chad Morris, like, just doesn't seem like uh, a very good motivator. Um, it just doesn't seem like his guys are playing hard. They don't play very disciplined. Um, you know, I mean, honestly, like, I've already kind of decided in my mind that they're going to hire Mike Leach, and uh, I'm just looking to see me days next year. <laughs> uh, again, I, don't, I just don't think you can fire in year two. I wish – I like, if I was the athletic director, I feel like I would do that. But uh, No, like, I, you go two and ten, like, back-to-back years, 
And I mean, honestly, like Arkansas is in a position where like they could potentially go one and eleven. Or no, they they already got two wins. Never mind. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but like they, there's like a really good shot they could go two and ten again this year. And I mean, I just don't like. I don't know how that's going to happen. Yeah, to me, there's really only one more win on their schedule at this point. Uh, maybe they'll sneak up and get another SEC win, but they're not winning more than four games uh, this season. Like, that's not really – that's – I mean, that's really about what I had predicted for Arkansas going to the preseason anyway. But as of now, like, they might only improve their win-loss total from last year by one win, which I think Chad Morris might still, you know, get a third year. But things will definitely leak. But then on the flip side, uh, if Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee were to finish uh, three and nine this year, that might get him fired because that would be uh, all time worse for a Tennessee football. Because when Bush Jones had a four and eight season, they're all time worse. He got fired. It's like so just... I, I, definitely, it's a, uh, it's it's, it's I, don't, I don't really see a scenario. Actually, I mean, I do see the scenario. I'll take that back. I see a scenario where both could be, but I don't think I was actually will come down to it I actually I, I do believe that Pruitt and Morris will both get third years yeah unfortunately and to uh not to rub it in a little bit even more JB but Georgia State did lose to mm-hmm. one and three Texas State this weekend in uh triple overtime so it's like you know you saw Georgia State's record last year and you're thinking like okay they didn't have a great record last year but maybe they're like one of these surprise teams that come out of nowhere are going to win a lot of games this year but it looks like they're still still pretty bad teams so it just kind of reminds you how bad that loss was and um flipping on to this game the Tennessee Florida game JB this is a uh, 11 a.m slash noon eastern game and before the game started I I don't know about you JB I mean probably not because you're you're probably like like how hold is about Mississippi State you just don't like really trust your team that much or you just think like they're gonna, the worst is going to happen. But I before this game started, JB, the line was like 13 or 14 points. I almost talked myself into betting for Tennessee, betting Tennessee on the, to cover the spread in this game. And I, I talked myself in that like, okay, they're improving team. They looked, they looked better against BYU than they did against Georgia State. And then they beat Chattanooga, which they were supposed to, but they beat them by 45 to nothing. And, you know, they're going to come out and like Florida's not going to prepare for them. They're going to be too confident. And they'll come out here and compete with Florida. But, you know, they they didn't do that at all, JB. No, they didn't. I mean, they did compete with them uh, for at least one quarter. I mean, it was only 7 nothing in the first quarter. To me, the turning point was when uh, Tennessee had uh, gotten a, a turnover in uh, Florida's side of the field, and it had a short field and drove it down inside the five-yard line. Had a third uh, from the two- or three-yard line, and Garantano throws a five-yard bullet right into Jawan Jennings' uh, palms of his hands, and Jennings uh, bobbles it, tips it, and then Florida intercepts it in the end zone. To me, that was the turning point because I just can't get over how stupid of a throw that was because if you're five yards away, you don't throw a dart because there's never going to be a good result from that. I mean, not many receivers are going to catch a five-yard bullet. You have a bullet throwing 20 yards down the field, but not when you're five yards away. That's when you got to put a little touch on it. I will have to disagree with you because John Jennings is a good receiver, and I, I I know exactly what play you're talking about. But like I, my recall isn't quite as good as yours for this specific play. But I don't know like the where the Florida defenders were or like how he how fast he actually had to throw it in. I don't know if it was one of those plays where if he threw touch and he threw 
threw it softer with more touch than the Florida players would have came in, you know, batted it away or try to intercept it. But I mean, I think, and maybe you can back me up on this whole, you know, if a receiver gets his hands on the ball, I think he should catch it, even even if it is a dart like that. I agree. I mean, I, I mean, definitely was thinking the same thing. Like when I was first thrown, I was like, man, like he could have definitely like not done that so hard. But at the same time, I mean, on the goal line, there's a lot of tight windows, and you really have to, you know, sling it in there sometimes. And Jennings has been probably their one of their best players this year, if not their best player. And um, you know, you just really need your guy right there to make that catch. And if it hits you in the hands. You know, I don't really care how hard it's thrown. I mean, I always feel like the receiver should be able to catch it, especially, you know, they got those gloves on and, like, all that stuff. I mean, I don't know. I just feel like they should be catching those. To make things a little worse, JB, I was getting a little bit hopeful when they took Garantano out. And I don't even know the the backup quarterback's name, but they put him in, and he's a freshman quarterback. And I was like, okay, maybe maybe we can see a little, little hope for the future here. Maybe the freshman quarterback will show some promise and – since he have a little bit of brighter days ahead, but he didn't look good either, JB. I mean, he's a freshman, but still, um, it just it, it kind of it just almost makes me it just makes me really sad for you, JB, because I don't you don't trust Pruitt, and then you don't trust Garantano, and then the backup quarterback who is probably going to be the, leading the team in the future, he doesn't look good either. So it's just like you don't it's bad right now, and you just don't see like it getting better. Is what I. What I'm saying the running backs are good. I'll I'll, put, I'll give you that, JB. But the quarterback, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think I think Maurer has a lot of potential to be a pretty good quarterback. True freshman, and not many true freshman quarterbacks going and playing in a hostile environment. And the snaps is really going to play that well. But that first drive, he came in, he did move the ball uh, fairly decently, and uh, he throws a lot of zip. He plays with a lot of confidence, and uh, he'll definitely uh, force throws like a freshman will. But compared to Garantano, he's Garantano is a lot more passive, while Maurer is a lot more aggressive and will, you know, try to throw into tight windows. He won't stand it. He won't – he'll get rid of the ball a lot more quickly than uh, Garantano will. And uh, he, he seems to just have, like, a little more uh, – I don't know, best word to put it out. Like, Mojo? a lot more field than uh, I don't know was. And, I mean, Maurer might be the guy of the future, but Everyone's talking about that prospect for Tennessee coming in next year, Harrison Bailey out of Georgia, who's supposed to be a uh, really great prospect. And my fans are expecting him to start next year as a true freshman. So, you know, we'll wait and see. But, you know, we always talk about, you know, the most popular guy is always the quarterback coming in next year. Yeah, especially at Tennessee. Um, I don't know if you can really take too much away from this game for Florida. I mean, Florida, I I mean, they – they did what they were supposed to do. And I guess they exceeded expectations technically because they won 34 to three and then the line was 14, but um, Kyle Trask looked good, but again, that's against Tennessee's defense. And I don't know how good Tennessee's defense really is. or They're not really consistent. Um, I don't know how much you can take away from this game for Florida, JB. Um, I actually really like Trask uh, compared to Felipe. Trask doesn't have the uh, arm strength that Franks has, but Trask made a lot better decisions to me than uh, Franks did. And I think that Florida is going to be better going forward with Trask, um, you know, leading the offense. And I think uh, there's there's a lot of possibilities with them. I mean, he doesn't really have a lot of mobility, but he makes good decisions and uh, has a little more accuracy than Franks does. Franks just had, you know, better size and better arm strength. But I really think Trask – I think Florida's going to be fine with Trask. Oh, as a state fan, do you feel 
bad at all for how Ole Miss got screwed against California at the end of the game? I mean, honestly, like, maybe I'm just, like, really, really biased. But, like, I think that it may have been, like, the right call. You don't like, think I it mean, was second like, like, I mean, because I saw the one from the sideline, like, literally right where the line judge was standing. And it did look like the ball didn't break the plane from that angle. I mean, I, you know, again, like, I don't know. Um, as far as, like, reviewing it right there, like, it's just really tough because they're in a situation where um, Ole Miss has to rush to get a playoff because they don't have any timeouts, which they should have had timeouts at that point. They just mismanaged their timeouts. Um, and so the referees, you know, it's kind of a tough spot because you want to get the call right, but at the same time, uh, if they stop the game right there, that is such an advantage to Ole Miss. Right. Um, you know, if they go back and review that play, um, you know what I mean? Like, I I still think they should have stopped it and reviewed it because it was so close. But the fact that, like, they really would have been – I don't want to say, like, changing the outcome of the game, but if they'd have gone back and looked at that and then determined that the calling on the field stands, then I think the Cal fans would have, uh, you know, an even bigger – um, bitch fast, just, bitch, bitch fast. With uh, if they if they had scored on the next play because yeah. you know they would have had that that whole time while they were reviewing it to get a play ready and um and all that and I mean you know I mean look like I didn't think he was like in just from like the angle that I saw uh, I know everybody else disagrees with me because they're talking about like what a horrible call it is and you know looking back on it like they probably should have reviewed it but I mean at the end of the day like. Ole Miss shouldn't have been in that situation to begin with. They shouldn't have given up 28 points to Cal. And, um, you know, I mean, but the one bright spot for Ole Miss is John Rice Plumley comes in and plays really well. Um, you know, I think he's a much better fit for this Rich Rodriguez offense than uh, Matt Corral is. You know, I don't know if um, – I don't know how long Rich Rodriguez is going to be at Ole Miss, but I think as long as he's there, I think Bryce Plumley may actually be the guy going forward. I mean, you saw some plays – that he was able to make when after he came in with his legs. And uh, it just seemed like the team really rallied around him. And, um, you know, he just played with a lot of effort and um, just, you know, he's got a lot of athleticism as well. So it's just, you know, I think he might be a better fit going forward. And I, I don't know if he's going to start at Alabama. Um, I honestly didn't even see why they took Corral out. I didn't think they took him out because he got hurt or because he just wasn't playing well. Um, so I'm not sure what his status is going forward, but I would assume they would start Corral, but, I wouldn't be surprised if they gave uh, Plumley some series, um, you know, in the next next few games. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at his numbers. He had great numbers. He w- he went seven for seven for eighty two yards, and I think he had uh, he had fifty three yards rushing too, with a basically a long run of forty seven is what happened. But uh, you could argue that California was playing a little bit soft defense just to so Cal- so Ole Miss would waste more time. But if you just watched it too, I think he he looks a lot more comfortable than Corral, and it's it's also just crazy to me how quarterbacks – I feel like quarterbacks are the hardest prospects to rank coming out of high school because Corral was – I don't know if he was number one. He was number one, but he was like a top five quarterback coming out of high school. And, you know, he doesn't look great. I mean, he's only a – no, he's not a, he's not a freshman. He's a sophomore, right? And he, he doesn't look – Technically, technically he's a redshirt freshman because he only played in four games last year. Yeah, and he doesn't look good, and that's that's not to not to harp on Tennessee JB, but Garantano was like a number two dual threat, and you just never know with some of these quarterbacks coming in. And you know, Kyle Trask wasn't ranked high at all, and he looks better than Felipe Franks, who was like a five star quarterback. Um, I just <laughs> hammers the point that it's really hard to rank high school quarterbacks. 
It is, and Trask was actually a two-star coming out of high school, too. So you really can't even look at uh, stars, you know, with guys coming out of high school. you got to leave it up to the coaches to make good evaluations. I don't even really look at what, you know, uh, these recruiting sites evaluate guys. To me, it's all about the coach and if, if they think that player is the right fit for his system. Oh, I didn't watch as much Mississippi State, Kentucky as I would have liked. I actually, I had it on the now two TVs, the second TV I had going. Uh, I was streaming it, but I wasn't paying as much attention because I was flipping between other games too. Um, is straight of the quarterback going forward? Is that what's going to happen now? Well, uh, Stevens was out due to an injury today. Uh, the news, uh, or Saturday, excuse me, the news came out uh, about maybe 30, 45 minutes before game time that Stevens and uh, one of state starting receivers, Stephen Gidger, are going to be out for this game. Um, I, I believe that when Stevens is healthy, if Stevens is healthy going forward, that he's going to be the starter. Um, but it's just, I just feel like it's the shoulder injury that's bothering him and it's his throwing shoulder. And I just, it, it just strikes me as one of those injuries that's really going to linger for a while. And I just feel it's going to be very touch and feel the rest of the season um, with him. Like I, maybe some days it'll feel really good and he'll go out there. And then some days it'll, you know, be bothering him not to take him out or, um, you know, not start him or whatever, but, you know, you have to give Schrader some credit. He played with a lot of confidence and, you know, I thought played a, a really solid game. Um, this was, you know, I, Pretty big win for Joe Moorhead. I mean, honestly, I don't think a lot of people, even though they were favorites, I still think most people were picking Kentucky in this one. Um, Guys, so how it, it, it was definitely good to bounce back and, uh, you know, kind of right the ship a little bit after last week. Um, and hopefully they'll be able to kind of keep that up going forward. You know, Colin Hill had another big game. Schrader played well. And, uh, I mean, I really think the difference in this game was the defense. And uh, we saw – you know, those uh, suspended players that are only going to get to play in four games this year, but Mississippi State gets to decide what four games they play in for some reason. Uh, they decided to let all them play in this game. And, um, you know, Willie Gay is one of those one of those players, and he managed to uh, come in on his first play uh, on that he got in the game on defense, had a pick six, and then uh, proceeded to have two unsportsmanlike conduct penalties and get ejected from the game before half time. Um, in one of the only four games he's going to be allowed to play in this year. So, uh, shout out to him for coming in, having a huge impact, and then having an exodus as well. <laughs> um, could you count on one hand the amount of Kentucky fans there, Holt? There was a decent amount of Kentucky fans there. Um, you know, their section over there was uh, pretty well represented. You know, the, the visiting section at Davis Wade. And then there was a few, you know, scattered throughout the stadium as well. Um I actually got to talk to a few, and uh, it kind of, like, I don't know if I was, like, offended or kind of bothered me a little bit, but some of them were, like, really, like, surprised that they lost. And it kind of, like, you know, I was kind of like, man, like, I mean, look, I know y'all had a good year last year. But, like, <laughs> I mean, still- are y'all, like, y'all just, like, above <laughs> losing to Mississippi State on the road now? Like, <laughs> Yeah, like, why don't y'all just be happy to be in a basketball school? Stop trying to get over to football. <laughs> That's funny. That's, uh. Funny, did you talk shit back or were you just like kind of respectful? And, uh, yeah, no, I, yeah, I didn't really uh, say anything back. I mean, it was kind of like a casual conversation. It wasn't like they weren't saying it to be like mean or anything. It was just kind of like, you know, they like definitely just thought that they were going to play better. I think a lot of Kentucky fans did. I mean, State came out and um, obviously that pick six in the first drive was huge because it really allowed the offense to kind of 
take a lot of the pressure off of them and really put the pressure on Kentucky's offense. And State was able to get a pass rush in this game finally, and uh, they were able to, to hit um, uh, Sawyer Smith a few times. And, um, you know, that was definitely big. And, uh, you know, the defense got swagger back a little bit. Um, they kind of struggled the first few games. And, um, you know, they, they didn't play great in the second half. They definitely missed some tackles and allowed Kentucky to extend some draws with some bad penalties, which has kind of been a theme under Joe Moorhead. Um, but overall, I thought the defense played a lot better. And, um, you know, it was definitely good to see. And, you know, Schrader um, through the air, you know, had a pretty good completion percentage. But, uh, you know, also ran for 125 on the ground and uh, did a pretty good job of avoiding pressure. There was a few times where, you know, the defender had him dead to rights and he was able to, to get away and um, either run down the field or complete a pass. Um, so that was obviously huge as well. Um, and then Colin Hill just does what Colin Hill does. Um, so pretty good game for Mississippi State. And then for Kentucky, uh, you know, it sucks, but you know, this is maybe a little bit of a rebuilding year. And I also think that they kind of let that Florida game beat them twice. I mean, I think that they, um, you know, the way that Florida game went, I think they were just not really ready to play this week. I think they would kind of let that Florida game beat them back-to-back weeks. Moving on, there's three three games we haven't covered yet, and we're running lower on time here. Not to extend this too long, but uh, let's just – let's talk about the South Carolina-Missouri game for a second. Uh, JB, are you really worried about South Carolina now after this loss to Missouri? I mean, they were supposed to probably lose this game, but about 20 points, and they didn't look good either. And then, you know, they don't have an easy schedule coming up. Uh, even even their so-called easy games, uh, you could argue maybe Kentucky is an easier game or um, Vanderbilt or App, but Kentucky's not going to be easy, especially with Kentucky losing two straight as well. And uh, Vanderbilt, that could be a win. But even App State, App State beat North Carolina this weekend at North Carolina. And uh, they might be favored. I think they might be favored at South Carolina um, when this game comes around. So, um, for me, we talked about this earlier in the year, how hard South Carolina's schedule was. But I don't know if I expected them to go one and three uh, for these first four games. Yeah, this has not been a really good start for uh, South Carolina. I mean, I, there is definitely a little bit of cause for concerns. And if I want to go ahead and put it point blank right now. Uh, South Carolina is not going to make a bowl. Uh, just if you look at the remaining schedule, I mean, I will go ahead and guarantee you South Carolina is not going to make a bowl. And it's, 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 it's really disappointing. I mean, their schedule is the toughest in the country. But a lot of you know, people are hoping that maybe they can sneak away with six or seven wins this year. Because, I mean, they still have a pretty talented team. But next week's game against Kentucky is going to be absolutely critical for them. If they lose that game – they're going to likely be one and six going into the final week in uh, October. And that's when they'll be playing at Tennessee, which both of those teams could be playing for the uh, potentially one, like one of the worst teams in the East by the time those two match up then of October. Then of course, South Carolina still has to play Clemson at the end of the year too. So yeah, it's, it's definitely some dark times ahead uh, in Columbia. And then, but on the flip side for Missouri, um, after that disappointing loss in week one, Missouri has gotten better every single week. And they really avenged South Carolina last year and were able to really take care of business against South Carolina. So I want to give props to Missouri for doing what they were supposed to do. And uh, they're really avenging that they avenged last year's loss. And then they're uh, improving week by week ever since their first loss of the season in the opening against Wyoming. 
Our boy Albert Oholt did not have a huge game in terms of number of uh, receptions or yards, but it, he did have the ten yard touchdown catch. So he's showing yeah. up a little bit. Definitely good to see. I feel like he's saving it for like a big game. I feel like maybe he's going to have like a huge game against Georgia or something. Um, yeah. And really remind everybody who he is. <laughs> it's it's crazy that um, sometimes in college you can have just like average or mediocre stats, but still get drafted in the first round if you, you know, have the measurables or the talent potential that NFL scouts see. Yeah. And just going back to, to JB's point just a little bit. Um, I just didn't want to touch on this, but, you know, we talked about Missouri, um, or at least I did, their defense really struggling. And, you know, Wyoming was really able to run the ball like all over. Um, South Carolina had 24 carries for 16 yards in this game. So, I mean, Missouri's defense has just made a complete 180, um, especially against the run. I mean, they, that was just a really outstanding performance. Uh, by this um, Missouri front seven and um, you know really disappointing for South Carolina as well I mean I don't care who you're playing when um, you have when you're averaging less than one yard to carry I mean that's that's pretty sad Um, they were not able to get Rico Dowdle going at all Um, you know Holinsky really really started to look like a freshman in this one Uh, I think you know a road game like this is where you really miss a senior like Jake Bentley um, to kind of calm everybody down and kind of, you know, be that leader. Um, you know, I, I feel like if Jake Billy played in this game, it may have been like a little bit different. Um, you know, they may have been able to get a little bit more going in the passing game. But, um, you know, definitely with Helensky's first, I guess, like big road start um, as a freshman, you know, definitely did not play well. But, I mean, you really have to give some credit to Missouri's defense because they've really uh, turned things around since that first game and they look to kind of be – uh, back on track and uh, look to be, you know, kind of in that third tier of SEC teams. I think, you know, you I, I, at least me personally, I kind of have like Alabama, Georgia and LSU or honestly, like I kind of have Alabama and LSU in a tier and then I have Georgia and Auburn in like the next tier. And I put, you know, Missouri in that next tier kind of with, you know, like I guess Mississippi State and Kentucky. And I mean, I guess you could put Florida in that second tier as well. But, um, you know, I'm just kind of doing this off the top of my head. But, uh, you know, maybe they could kind of compete with Florida. They could get up, um, you know, the second or, you know, second best team in the conference. I still don't think they're going to go on the road and beat Georgia. But, um, you know, they're definitely starting to look like they're reviving their season. Um, you know, may actually have a chance to uh, make that Georgia game matter after all. The other two SEC games, uh, Alabama Southern Miss, uh, I would say that was a big win for Alabama. Not a big win. <laughs> it was a big point win for Alabama. <laughs> but not surprising win. The only thing I want to take away from this game is that Najee Harris finally had 100 yards rushing on 14 carries. He had 110 yards, and I think he had a touchdown too. Uh, so I'm proud of him for finally finally making me not look as much of a dumbass uh, by saying he's going to be winning the Heisman every single year. But uh, I'm glad he finally had a big game. And then LSU Vanderbilt, this game we can talk about just for a split second. This is not your – your grandfather's LSU. That's what I like to say. I, not your father's LSU. This is a high-powered offense LSU, but their defense now is not showing up. I mean, it's kind of uh, it's kind of crazy. We we talked about their defense being one of the best in the country before the year started, and now they're giving up 38 points to Vanderbilt. 
Do you see this as a problem, JB, going forward? I mean, we we always talk about LSU and getting the passing game going. They finally got that, and now their defense is giving up a little bit. Uh, Do you think going forward, competing in the SEC and even trying to get into the playoff here, do you see this as a problem as their offense being this good, but their defense not carrying the team either? Oh, yeah, that's definitely a problem if uh, Dave Miranda can't get the short up. But luckily, uh, they've got a bye week coming up. Uh, before two weeks from now, they'll be hosting Utah State, which is not as difficult of a matchup. But they got some tune-up games coming up before uh, – a uh, bye week and a tune-up game before they have to play Florida at home. So they got some time to uh, get things right. And I, I mean, Dave Randa is the best defensive coordinator in college football. I mean, he knows what he's doing. And the team just not, doesn't seem to be fundamentally sound. I don't know what I would want to blame for this. But, I mean, the, the secondary didn't play as bad this past Saturday as they have been. It was really the running defense. Uh, they let Keyshawn uh, Watt have a pretty good game against them. He had uh, 100, over 120 yards rushing on 20 carries, so about six yards per carry. I mean, that wasn't the best by the running defense. But, I mean, on the flip side, like, it seems like you can't ever have both in the SEC. You can't always be elite on offensive defense. You only can be elite on one side of the ball. And now the really the big Achilles heel for LSU is their defense. But, I mean, my God, their offense is just unbelievable. I, I, I haven't seen a high-powered offense at LSU in a long time. Like, it's really fun to watch them play and give credit to uh, Joe Burrow for uh, turning that offense into, like, a really elite offense. And, and no, I'm not getting him confused with Joe Brady, but Joe Burrow is, like, a much-improved quarterback from last year. And just their offense isn't stagnant anymore. Like, it's really fun to watch. I know Holt said earlier that they haven't really played a lot of good defenses yet, and that's true, too, but even when LSU last year would play against bad defenses, they would even struggle to move the ball. So that, this is impressive to me. Yeah, I still, still think Alabama has the best offense um, in the SEC, but it's it's tough right now because LSU's offense is really good. If you look at the passing leaders in the country, Joe Burrow is number two with uh, 1,500 passing yards. He's behind the Washington State quarterback, which is no surprise there, but um, he's ahead of Tua, which is surprising. So I think that's that's pretty cool that LSU has uh, essentially turned around their passing game in one year with probably yeah. Joe Brady. I'm assuming. Yeah, that. And Joe, Bur- Joe Burrow as of now is definitely a Heisman candidate, and I feel like if he continues on this trajectory, he's definitely going to be a finalist in New York. And you can say the same for uh, Tua if he keeps playing like he has, and also Jalen Hurts. So that's like three guys with SEC ties that could all be in New York uh, together in December when the season's over. You're right. It is. It is a QB race. It's, it's like you have to. You a running backs can win it, but other than other than that, it's just like a defensive player winning Heisman's a joke, and then like a wide receiver could get in the running, but I just you'd have to do something absolutely crazy to win it as a wide receiver. Yeah, the Heisman Trophy to me is really just the most elite quarterback award. I mean, occasionally yeah, every few years you'll get a running back sneak up and get the award, but for the most part, to me, it's really just it goes to the best quarterback. Yeah, let's uh, let's take a few minutes just to talk about around the country what's going on. Um, actually, let's before before we do that, let's uh, let's make sure we don't forget we have special uh, Slow Smokes weekly awards to announce. The What a Chicken and Player of the Week or players if you have one on offense and defense. Um, JB, I'll let you do the What a Chicken. All right, or- so I got two what I got two What a Chickens. I got one from the SEC and one nationally. Uh, my SEC what a chicken has to go to Nick Starkle. Uh, 
many interceptions next Starkville threw against San Jose State? Alex? I'm going to say three. Nope. He threw five interceptions in that five game. Five interceptions. Five <laughs> interceptions. And I'll tell you why he threw five interceptions. He needs to take off that Justin Bieber shirt underneath yeah. his jersey. That is, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the backstory is. I'm not making fun of Nick Starkle. I really do like Nick Starkle, and I think he's a really good player, and I think he's going to bounce back from it. But who in their right mind wants to wear Justin Bieber on the football field? I don't know who would want to do that. But I think I did see a tweet from him that he's going to stop doing it. So yeah. Him, but, man, you did it one game too late, buddy. Like, that was just yeah. – <laughs> That performance on five interceptions. Yeah, I um, I saw, I saw the tweet, and then I started like researching, like, well, what was this about? Like, he wears a Justin Bieber shirt for the game every single play or every single game, and it didn't make sense to me either. But I saw that tweet, and I was like, man, that has to be like a very humbling tweet to send out. Like, sorry, I'm gonna stop wearing Justin Bieber shirts, and I'm gonna focus on Arkansas winning again. Yeah, like I, I, I do like Nick Starkle, and I think he's definitely the best quarterback on that roster. And he's a really solid guy. I mean, I, he's he's a good person and a really good quarterback. I just, you know, I had I had to pick a what a chicken. And I mean, when you throw five interceptions, I mean, that puts you first in line for that award. And then also nationally, I have to give that the national what a chicken award to. Uh, and my God, man, they were up forty to seventeen uh, early in the third quarter, and they allow UCLA to score three touchdowns unanswered within a span of five minutes on the game clock. That completely turned the game around, and it was 49-38 here at the end of the third quarter, and uh, Washington State could not recover from that. And then also there's a point where they fumbled the ball when they were up 49-38, and uh, UCLA had a short field and drove down to score another touchdown and then got the two-point conversion to make it 49-46. After that, it just felt like this was UCLA's game. Like That was an absolute uh, just choke job by Washington State in the third quarter to let UCLA come back into the game. Holt, do you have a player or players of the week? Well, um, I hate to be kind of basic, but I'm going to have to go with Joe Burrow. Um, I mean, he just played like kind of an unbelievable game. Vanderbilt's defense has been just dreadful this year, just absolutely terrible. But 25 for 34, 398 yards, six touchdowns, no picks. I mean, that's just like – that's an amazing game. He's, you know, JB touched on this a minute ago. He's made such a drastic improvement in one year. Um, and I said this on the last podcast. Like, I, I usually, once I make an opinion on someone, I, it doesn't really change. It kind of just stays up. And I really had Joe Burrow pegged as, um, you know, like the game manager, leadership type guy. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, that's definitely, you know, good enough at a place like LSU where you have that much talent. But, I mean, he's really become a playmaker, and his ability to move around in the pocket and still keep his eyes downfield and make throws downfield has been incredible. I mean, like, it seems like every game he has a couple plays like that where you think he's about to get sacked, and then he kind of steps up and maybe throws the ball, like, off balance and, is you know, hits a wide-open receiver down the field. And, um, you know, you got to give those LSU receivers some credit, too, because they're, they're really talented. Um, and um, But it, anyway, it was just – it was a huge game for Burrow, and – you know, he's definitely a Heisman candidate, maybe the leading Heisman. If he can keep this up um, throughout the season. Yeah, Joe Burrow is definitely a gamer. But uh, my uh, uh, player of the week uh, goes to his receiver, Jamar Chase. I mean, he had a breakout against Vanderbilt. He had 10 receptions for uh, 229 yards and four touchdowns. So, yeah, 
wherever I mean, when Joe Burrow puts up big numbers, usually it's one of his receivers that does. And this week, Jamar Chase was the uh, leader of that category. So Jamar Chase would be my SEC Player of the Week. Let's not drag on for too much longer, but let's talk about the games out of uh, out of conference, just the national games that got a lot of attention just for a few minutes. Uh, the biggest one, obviously, is the Michigan-Wisconsin game. Uh, basically how Michigan did not show up for this game at all. Biggest disappointment. Uh, I, I thought Wisconsin could win this game, but I didn't think they would win how they did. We know the Wisconsin defense is really great, but um, you would think at some point Michigan could figure out their, their offense, but they still haven't figured out their offense under Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, I mean, I really expected this to be a much more low-scoring game. Um, I expected uh, Wisconsin to win pretty easily, but I expected it to be more like, you know, 17-3 to three or like 20-3 to three or something more like that. Um, I'll tell you what, if you're a Wisconsin fan, this is probably like one of the most satisfying wins like you could ever have, you know, like coming into a game like this. And, um, you know, you think, you think your team is really good, but you haven't really played anybody yet. And um, – you know, you got this big game at home in Michigan is, you know, they get all this, they get talked about all the time. People are picking them to win the big 10. And, you know, people talk about Jim Harbaugh being a great coach and all this stuff. Um, you know, I feel like maybe you have like a little bit of doubt uh, going into that game. If you're a Wisconsin fan and for them to just come out and just absolutely just like punish uh, Michigan's they- defense, just run like right, right at them and rip off huge runs. I think, like Jonathan Taylor had like 150 rushing yards and two touchdowns in the first quarter. I mean, they came out and they just like, they just said like, here we come, we're coming right at you. And, you know, usually Michigan is better equipped to handle teams like that, but uh, Wisconsin just ran like all over them and Michigan acted like they had no idea what was coming. But I mean, everybody knew that they were just giving the ball to Taylor and he just went to town. And, um, you know, if you're a Wisconsin fan, it's gotta be like one of the most satisfying ones ever to just completely dominate a game like that, especially um, when the, other coaches, someone like Jim Harbaugh. They they essentially played like an SEC team with great defense and just running the ball right at you. Um, that's what I thought for Wisconsin this game. Uh, another point or comment I want to make on this game is that Wisconsin obviously won pretty easily. But, you know, I was watching this game and, you know, people say defense wins championships. And I think Wisconsin has one of the best defenses in the country. Um, but I – I don't know about y'all, but I think uh, Wisconsin could really actually beat Ohio State and win the Big Ten and get in the playoff. Um, I don't know where they're ranked now. I'm assuming they'd be in the top ten now. Uh, but um, <clears throat> Wisconsin's going to give Ohio State some trouble with their um, their defense. I don't know if they play in the regular season, but they obviously could play in the uh, Big Ten championship game. Yeah, like I, one of the games I'm really looking forward to later this year uh, there's another team in the same division was, was, as Wisconsin. I think both of them are poised at breakout seasons. I mean, Wisconsin's already had their breakout win, but I think Iowa is not that far behind Wisconsin either. I think both of those two teams are, could possibly be teams that could get Ohio State the championship and sneak into the playoffs. So not just Wisconsin, but Iowa too. Yeah, for sure. Um, a couple other games. The big Another big game that was probably overshadowed in not talked about as much because it was the same time as Notre Dame, Georgia was the uh, Texas, Oklahoma state game. Texas won 36 to 30. Um, I wouldn't have been surprised if Oklahoma state won this game. I think Oklahoma state, they're not a top 25 team right now, but I think they are playing like a top 25 team. Their offense is so good. I think, um, I don't know how much y'all got to see this, but um, this is like a game I was keeping my eye on, but not watching as closely, but it's good for Texas, I guess, to get their win. Cause we can continue with the Texas back narrative. But um, 
I don't know. I just think it was a fun game. I don't know if you all have anything you want to take away from this game. Um, I actually didn't get to watch this game. Did China play well? China did play well, in fact. He had two touchdowns, 121 yards, 37 carries, which is like old school, uh, old school, I guess, in terms of number of carries for one running back. That's now you have like the dual dual running back system, and uh, nobody really gets 37 carries, but still, China had a pretty good game. Pretty good game. <laughs> yeah, I really like Oklahoma State's offense this year. Um, you know, obviously, tough loss, but. Um, you know, they got a quarterback that can run a little bit. He had over 100 yards, ran the ball 18 times. Uh, you know, just unfortunately, those couple turnovers really hurt. And, you know, Sam Ellinger is uh, is a really impressive player. Like, I, you know, I really hate to say it because I was kind of not down on him before the season, but I just, you know, I thought maybe he was a little bit overrated. But he's really been showing out this year. And he pretty much, um, you know, obviously Ingram was able to have a big game on the ground this week, but – those first few games, he really not only had to be the quarterback, but he also kind of had to be the running back because he was, like, the leading rusher by far. Um, and, you know, he's still putting up big numbers uh, on the ground and in the air. So, you know, you have to give him some credit as well. And, you know, I think I saw somewhere that Oklahoma State has won, like, the last, like, three times that they've been to Texas or something stupid like that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's good for, for them to finally break that streak. And, um, you know, definitely good for Texas in this one. Maybe a little bit forgotten about, but USC beating Utah on Friday night was actually a huge win for them and really uh, surprising and kind of disappointing at the same time for Utah. Um, I don't know how much you watched this game, JB, but how in the world did USC beat Utah? I mean, we were talking shit about USC and doing the exact opposite, talking up, hyping up Utah, and USC comes out and beats Utah Friday night. I mean, you have to really give credit to uh, the quarterback, Matt Fink. He had a really great and 50 yards, three touchdowns. I mean, that was really the biggest playmaker for them. But also Pittman, Jr., uh, the Robert Brent, 10 receptions, 232 yards. I mean, I mean I, I'm not going to give that much disrespect to USC. I still think they're a solid team. It's just we're all so down on uh, Clay Helton. But I don't know if they're as bad as some people are saying they are. And Clay Helton, I think if he keeps playing, if his team keeps playing the way they are, I don't know if USC is really going to have any reason to fire him by season's end. But uh, there's also one more game I do want to talk about with you, Alex. Uh, and if you want to stay, unless you still want to stay on the uh, USC-Utah game a little bit. But there's another game, too. I'm surprised you haven't mentioned it yet. Well, no, I, I, the only reason why I haven't because I didn't want to show any bias. But go ahead. You know which game I'm referring to? I think so. How about uh, the UCF? The No, 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 no. I was just talking about App State. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. Um, the App State game was actually the same time as the Auburn game. I was actually watching that game a little bit more because it was more exciting, and um, I just kind of like App State a little bit, of course. But, um, yeah, the UCF game was all over the place. It was like 21 to nothing to start, and then UCF scored like 28 points straight to get the lead, and they ended up getting, I think, to 31-21, and then Pittsburgh came back and won into the, into the game. It was, it was a crazy game all around. It was, and, I mean, the 21 nothing lead that – with that third touchdown being a uh, punt block return for a touchdown. But UCF fought their way back. and But, man, like, you got to give credit to Pat, Mar- Pat Narduzzi. He has got, he's got some balls with his play calling. And it paid off on that fourth and that, that uh, fourth down play at the three-yard line when they called the uh, pit special and threw it back to the quarterback for the touchdown. That was a really impressive play call, really great execution. And 
really good for the rest of the country because now we don't have to hear from UCF for at least for another 365 days. <laughs> yeah, and the, the play call is only impressive because it worked. If it didn't, then you'd be like, what the hell did you do that for? Um, so last game I want to talk about, and then we can call it a night, is uh, – well, I think actually that was the last game. The last thing I want to talk about, though, is uh, since UCF now lost, does that make Boise State the official, unofficial group of five champions right now? Hope. Yeah, probably put Boise State as the first <laughs> team of the, uh, of the group of five, but I would probably put Memphis second right now behind uh, Boise State. I think those are probably the top two. I mean, to me, I think really obviously the one the one that gets in the New Year's the one that's highest ranked right now. Boise State's in the driver's seat. I mean, if they went out the season, Boise State might be that team that's uh, you know that's going to be going uh, to a major bowl this year. Watch out that's for uh, oh yeah, watch out for the U. Blazers, they're three and zero right now, and uh, they got some winnable games coming up. And then they got Old Dominion, who has been giving those Virginia teams a hard time. Uh, and if they're able to win that game, might be uh, undefeated rolling up into Knoxville. Uh, this is where you get into like the really big college football fans, and really you become a college football junkie when you start watching all the Group of Five conference games. Like when Maxion comes up, I looked that looked that up the other day when it starts. It doesn't start till November. So that's kind of disappointing that you have to wait that long. But when you start to get into the group of five games and like the undefeated teams there, I think that's I think that's really exciting to watch. Like a two group of five teams that are like number one and two in their conference and like the Sun Belt or where whatever conference, Mountain West, and they're playing each other. I think that's fun to watch. But that's just me. Yeah, it definitely. Is. I mean, that's kind of what makes college football great is you know, you have these smaller schools, um, you know, kind of keep track of what they're doing. And, I mean, I'll tell you what, like, Bill Clark, um, I'm surprised he doesn't have an SEC job yet. I think, like, after this year when some coaches get let go, I think he's definitely someone that some teams are going to look at. And it's definitely going to be hard for UAB to hold on to him because they, they lost a lot of players last year, and um, they really haven't missed a beat. I mean, they beat South Alabama 35-3 to last week. You know, South Alabama went up to Nebraska and gave them a really tough game. You know, so – you know, you really got to give Bill Clark some credit, and uh, he definitely deserves um, some more attention than he gets. Yeah, I agree with Holt. I've been high on Bill Clark for the last four years, and I feel like he's just the coach in the group of six that's forgotten about as one of the more better coaches. Like, Scott Satterfield finally broke through and got a uh, you know, power five job. I don't know why uh, Bill Clark hasn't gotten one yet, but like Holt said, UAB schedule sets up really well for them to uh, make a run this year. And if they do get to this season with, uh, you know, one or two losses, you know, considering what they lost from last year, Bill Clark should definitely be on the map. But, man, if they actually roll into Knoxville undefeated, man, what a scene will that be? Because if they get past Tennessee, they might be looking at undefeated. At that point, you might have to fire Jeremy Pruitt on the spot because I don't know what, what games they would win after that. They could still be, I guess, Vanderbilt and Kentucky, but that'll be that'll be tough. Tough to what if Philip Fulmer like, walked into Jerry Pruitt's office and like took his like hat and like uh like his rain jacket or whatever they call it, the windbreaker away from him and then just like walked right over to the UAB locker room and gave it to Bill Clark and like presented <laughs> it to him? I, I'd be I'd be for it. Um, I I think I feel like Philip Fulmer already has a plan on what how he's going to fire Pruitt. He just he hasn't he hasn't unleashed it yet, but he's he's waiting for the right moment. I think he has it already already up his sleeve. He's I mean, I don't, I, I don't think that he's gonna get. I don't. I, I mean, I'll go ahead and say I don't think Pruitt gets fired after this season. The only scenario I see is maybe two and ten. I mean, if he if they finish one and eleven, and they don't win another game this year. He definitely gets fired. 
if they go two and ten, I could see a way that he survives. Yeah, it will be fun to watch. I yeah, I even like when uh, just like all the drama going into college football. Like for instance, we don't think Tennessee um, is going to be a good team, but just watching them play some of these teams when they should win, like UAB or Kentucky, and they lose, then you have to question whether you're going to fire Jeremy Pruitt or not. I think right. I mean, it's only week four, but, you know, Tennessee schedule the rest of the way. They're, they're playing a really bad South Carolina team. They're still playing a really uh, – they're playing a UAB team. Uh, they're playing Kentucky. They always beat. I mean, there's definitely some wins left on the schedule on paper, but the way they played, uh, you can't really pick them to win any of those games. Still not the 2007 season, though, right, Holt? Not quite. 2007 season is undefeated. Have you guys seen that video that's been going around today? Um, that's also from the 2007 season. Not the Mike Gundy one, but the other one. No, we retweet it, retweet it or something, so I can see it. Cause I want to. All right. Well, well, you have to go to our Twitter page to check it out. But I'm I'm about to go retweet it right now. All right. Cool. Any final words before we call it a night and wait for the Week Five preview? Well, I want to say that uh, I have retained my five-game lead over Holt in our contest through four weeks. Uh, he and I had two different uh, games this week that we picked. I picked Cal over Ole Miss, and that was, and then uh, Holt, uh, Holt picked Ole Miss. So that was one game. That was a difference. And then the other game was uh, the Kentucky-Mississippi State game, and Mississippi State came through for Holt, for Holt so for he could hold serve this week because if Kentucky had won, I would have pushed my my lead up to seven games. So. That was really good for Holt, and we're currently sitting at five. Yeah, we got long. <laughs> JB, are you going to be uh, a little bitch ass and just pick every single game that Holt picks, just so he can't beat you? No, I'm a competitor. I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing. That's what Bill Pelichick would say. Like, keep doing what you're doing. No, I'm right. going to play really conservative and try to run the clock out. Yeah. Um, all right. So it's been a fun podcast and thank everybody for listening just make sure you follow us on twitter and uh subscribe but until then we'll see you next time thanks for tuning in to another outstanding episode of the sec slow smoke podcast Be sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SEC Slow Smoked. Spread the good word on this podcast like the chili and cheese on your fries. If you like this podcast, tell a friend because there's plenty to go around. Oh, yeah.